I'd like to continue on this morning with our sermon series, The Odd Couple. The title was inspired by Neil Simon's Broadway smash hit, The Odd Couple, that opened in 1965. It was such a hit, it was turned into a movie in 1968 with Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau. They were playing the two main characters, Felix and Oscar. Felix was was a person who was going through a, a divorce. He was someone who was, was a real neat nick. He was basically a hypochondriac. He was neurotic. And then you had Oscar. Well, Oscar was a sports writer and happy-go-lucky slob. And the whole premise is how can two people so different come together and be friends? Can they come together and learn from each other? Can they come together and get along? Can they come together and help each other in finding life? It's a great question. And I really believe it's a great question that we're asking in our society right now. Can we, who are so different and so passionate about our beliefs come together, care about each other, be friends with each other, and help a greater good of finding good and life for all. It is so easy because we are so passionate about our beliefs that what we want to do is demonize others, We want to dominate others. We want to control others so that they will act the way we want them to act. And we get angry when they don't act that way. The question is, can we truly, people who are different and passionate about what we believe, can we come together and let God use our differences for strength? for hope, for truly helping to build a better world. We said every week that we wanted to look at an odd couple, sometimes from the Bible, sometimes from history, and see how God worked in their lives to help people who were so different use their differences for good. Today, I want us to look at Abraham Lincoln and Edwin Stanton, because truly, They were an odd couple. They first met back in 1855. Both were lawyers. It turned out that they wound up being on the same case. Cyrus McCormick, who had developed the reaping machine, it was a whole new invention that blessed farmers, this mechanical reaper, he had created it and had a patent on it. And then a man named John Manny also developed a reaper and And McCormick felt that Manny was trying to infringe, that it was something that he was being copied, and so he sued him. And it was Manny who went out and put together a team of lawyers, and one of them was Edwin Stanton. Well, in the end, they believed that this this case was going to be heard in Illinois, and they decided they needed a lawyer from Illinois, and so they also hired Abraham Lincoln. That's where the two men first got to know one another. Stanton was not impressed with Lincoln. 
In fact, he often called him the ape from Illinois. When he really was mad at him, he would say, he is the darned, well, something like that. He is the darned, long-armed ape from Illinois. No, he was very condescending and held him in disdain. And Lincoln knew it. That was their first meeting and being together. It turned out that Stanton was actually from Ohio. It's where he'd been born and raised. He had a good family as a child growing up. He got to go to school, got a formal education. His family raised him as a Methodist. He was a person of faith. In the end, he went to college in that day. He became a lawyer. He was an ardent Democrat. And in the end, he had his own law practice and did extremely well. He became wealthy. And then he was asked by President James Buchanan to be in his cabinet. And so he served in Washington, D.C. with President Buchanan. Now, Abraham Lincoln, on the other hand, well, he was born in Kentucky in a log cabin. His family would move to Indiana and then to Illinois. He never had any formal education. His education came by his own initiative and reading books. He was an avid reader. And he too would become a lawyer. And he would become a Republican. Now, their demeanor was also very, very different. Edwin Stanton, he was abrasive. He was in your face. He told you what he thought. He was rude. General James McClellan, George McClellan, he was the general of the Union armies. And General McClellan would say of Edwin Stanton, without a doubt, he is the most vile person I have ever known. And then he went on to say, if, if Stanton had lived at the time of our Lord, Judas Iscariot would have had a good reputation. No, that's how Stanton rubbed people. Abraham Lincoln, on the other hand, well, he was more measured in whatever he said. He was kind. He was so very thoughtful. He was someone who loved to tell a story to get a point across. He was patient. Now, these two men couldn't have been more different. And they each had different strengths. The one thing they both agreed on was that slavery must end. When, President, when Lincoln became the 16th president of the United States, the South revolted and civil war was on and Lincoln needed a new secretary of war, someone who was detailed oriented, someone who was hardworking, someone who was passionate, a bulldog, and where you always knew where they stood. And so this Republican president turned to a Democratic lawyer who he knew did not care for him and he asked him, would you be my secretary of war? to help us hold the union, this nation together, and to help us get rid of slavery. And Stanton agreed. Without a doubt, they were the odd couple. Two men 
with such differences who were coming together to let God use them to defend our nation, to defeat slavery, they would be used by God for good. The question was when they came together, could they help a nation that was so passionate about what they believed, passionate on this issue of slavery and so divided, could they hold us together? It's really what Paul was struggling with in our scripture lesson this morning. You know, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. The church in Rome is kind of the mother church in Paul's day. And it, it did not, um, Paul did not start it. But he is writing to the Christians in Rome. And he's writing them because the church was coming apart. You know, we don't think about that. You know, we tend to think of, well, Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven and now everybody came together as one church and loved each other. Not the case. We know that by the end of the first century, there was already a hundred different sects of Christianity. People were passionate about their beliefs and it was pulling us apart. Some people believed you have to be Jewish in order to be a follower of Jesus. And other people were saying, no, no, Gentiles can also be a follower of Jesus. Do you have to follow the kosher food laws? Or are all things clean? Do you have to be circumcised? Or can you be like the Greeks? What's the role of women? What's the role of slaves? Do you believe that Jesus was born of Mary? Or do you believe he ascended from heaven as an adult? No, people were passionate about all their beliefs and it was pulling us apart. And so Paul is writing to this early church, our early church, and he says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that is, by the grace of God. By the grace of God, do not be conformed to this world. That is, don't do it as we've done it in the world before, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is renewed by the gift of God's grace, so that you might know the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is it possible for us as people of faith who are passionate about our beliefs to have our minds renewed and come together as people who really are looking for the will of God and what it is good and acceptable. It was an appeal that Paul was making to the early church because it was feeling so stretched and pulled apart. You don't demonize and dominate. Can we come together with our differences to be the disciples of Jesus Christ for the good of all? To find the will of God. And what is the will of God? Well, that's what Paul does in the rest of chapter 12. As he starts going through all that we were reading in our scripture, he starts telling us what would it look like if we weren't conformed to the world, but our mind was being transformed by the grace of Christ in our lives. That's what I want us to look at this morning. And there's really just three things that I, that I want us to see. 
First of all, I like it when Paul says in the 16th verse, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Do not be haughty. Don't be conceited. The New Revised Standard Version says, Don't be wiser than you think you are. It's, it was an idea that, you know, it's so easy to believe that you and I have all the truth. It is so easy to believe, to be passionate about the fact that we know what is right. Somehow we believe that God kind of stepped aside and left us in charge. The fact that I'm a Methodist, I love John Wesley when he said, you know, nobody has all the truth. You need to know what you believe. But then you have to also understand you could be wrong because you don't have the knowledge and the understanding of Almighty God. And so John Wesley would say, if you love God and you love your neighbor, then give me the right hand of fellowship. We can be friends. We may have our differences, but God can use our differences and bring us together for good. If we're not conceited and haughty. I love the story of Abraham Lincoln. How one day he was brought a proposal. And he read it. He thought it was a good one. And so he signed it. He gave it to a congressman and said, you need to take this over to Stanton. Have him sign it too. And the congressman went to Stanton and he brought him in, brought him a proposal. Said, this, the president would like you to sign this. He read through it and Stanton said, Absolutely not. He's a darned, uh, that may not have been exactly the word, he's a darn fool. He gave it back to the congressman. The congressman carried it back to President Lincoln, handed it back to him, and Lincoln said, Stanton didn't sign this. Did you take it to him? Yes. Did you tell him I wanted him to sign it? Yes. And what did he say? He said, you're a darn fool. And Lincoln sat there for a moment, and then he said, well, Stanton usually says what he means, and he's usually right. So why don't we go see him, and let's see what he has to say. They went back to Stanton. Lincoln sat down. Stanton explained why he thought this was a bad proposal, and after listening, Lincoln tore it up, and he agreed. To be able to listen, to not be so conceited or haughty or arrogant that we can't listen to each other. We have our differences, but can God use those differences and bring us together so that we can listen and care to, about one another even if we do not always agree? Be ye transformed by the renewing of God's grace, the renewing of your mind. Secondly, Paul would say, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, 
outdo one another in showing honor. I love that last line. Outdo one another in showing honor. Loving one another. Let your love be genuine. That's what you compete with. Outdo one another in loving each other. You know, it's interesting. Abraham Lincoln never lost sight of what his goals were. The pressure, all the people pulling, not just north against south, but in the north, you had all those who still were for slavery and against slavery, and, and you had the liberals and you had the conservatives, and oh, the pressure that Lincoln was under. He never forgot what he was about. And what he was about was trying to show that democracy can work. That a nation less than a hundred years old who had decided that they could be free and vote and elect their officials, that somehow we who would be so different could stay together and show that in spite of our differences, we could still be one. He wanted to save the union. And he believed strongly that slavery must end. That the only way you can have union, the only way you can have a country together is if we outlaw any kind of prejudice and racism so that every human being is treated with dignity and respect. It was his focus. And when war came, then he responded. But his goal wasn't just to win a war. No, his goal was to bind up the wounds of the nation. When it became clear the war was about to end and the North was going to win, Lincoln was determined that there would be malice towards none and charity for all, that we would bind up the wounds of the nation, that we who had been so different, God could use these differences. We could come together to care for each other. In fact, when a woman came to Lincoln and said, how will you treat these Southerners when this war is over? Lincoln responded famously, I shall treat them as if they've never been away. To understand that there has to be love and forgiveness, that there has to be listening, and how can we truly come together to care for each other? Paul said, let your love be genuine. That's what he was asking for in the early church. It's what Wesley was asking of the people called Methodist. You may disagree, you may be passionate on things, but let us not forget our call is to love God and to love one another. Can we come together on that? A couple weeks ago, we were ending St. Luke's on Broadway by looking at Les Miserables. What a great show and what incredible music. I got to telling you how from Broadway, it went to become a movie, and it was Hugh Jackman who played the part of Jean Valjean in the movie. Now, I didn't have time to chase that as we were doing St. Luke's on Broadway, but I got to doing some real research on Hugh Jackman, and he has played so many iconic roles, and Jean Valjean being one. But what an amazing man, fascinating life turned out that his mom and dad were from England 
And it was at a Billy Graham crusade where they got saved. They decided to be disciples of Jesus Christ. They would move to Australia, and that's where Hugh Jackman would grow up, was in Australia. He had a good family. He was very happy. They went to church. He was going to Sunday school. And then when he was eight years old, his world fell apart, and his mom and dad got divorced, and she moved back to England. He stayed in Australia with his father. But he found himself affected by that event so much, fearful, angry. He really struggled. He tried to figure out what he wanted to do with his life as he was growing up, graduated high school, went off to college. He thought he majored in journalism. What he thought he really wanted to do was to become a chef. And he'd love to cook on an airplane. But his senior year, he still had elective hours, credits he needed to take, and he looked around and saw a class in theater and decided to take it. And he said within a week, he felt more at home there than he had felt on campus in the last three years. His professor saw that he had a natural talent, gave him the lead part in the play they were doing. And as they say, the rest was history. Hugh Jackman graduated. He got on a TV show, a small part called Corelli. And it was while he was there that he became so enamored with the leading lady of the show. Her name was Deborah Lee Furness. And she was 12 years older than him. And he thought, how silly, how embarrassing this is that a newbie, this young kid, gets a crush on the leading lady. And he was so embarrassed by it that he, he just kind of withdrew. And about two weeks went by when Deb came by and said to him, did I do something to offend you? No, no, he said, it's just, I'm so embarrassed. I, I have a crush on you. And she said, well, I have a crush on you. The two of them started to date. One year later, they were married. They were unable to have children, so they adopted. They adopted two children, Ava and Oscar. And they feel so blessed. And they love their children so deeply. Well, because of their faith, Hugh Jackman, who is a strong Christian, feels strongly that it is his responsibility and all Christians' responsibility to be involved in the world and, and be making a difference. And he felt he had especially been blessed by what he had with celebrity and his wealth, and he was being asked to do something. So he got involved with World Vision. It is a a Christian humanitarian organization. They're involved in more than 90 countries around the world, working with poor developing countries, trying to help people figure out how to raise themselves out of poverty and there to give them the resources they need to get a hand up. Well, Hugh Jackman decided he wanted to go to Ethiopia. He and Deb did. It's because he loved coffee. And Ethiopia is the birthplace of coffee. And so it was that they headed to Ethiopia, and through World Vision, they were able to meet a man named Dukali, and they met his wife, Adenek, and he would then work with Dukali for an entire week. He wanted to see what his life was like. I mean, the family lived in this hut. 
as a grass hut, round, just like you would see. The children were not in school. His children, Ducali's children, no, they had to collect firewood all day long. And his wife was also working with them, collecting firewood, but water and then cooking. It was so smoky in the house, this hut. Ducali worked hard all day long with primitive tools and was not understanding effectively how to be growing coffee beans. But this man was always laughing, always smiling. He too was a man of faith and you just... He just saw the spirit in his own heart. He also learned that what happened would, there would be coffee buyers who would come to a village like this and they would buy the coffee beans at a very depressed price because they had no access to the big free markets. And so these people could come and buy the coffee at a very depressed price and then turn around and sell it for a big profit and yet it left all these hard-working farmers poor. Hugh Jackman had never understood this issue of free trade and how important it is to have access to markets. He went home and he was determined to do something. World Vision was working there in the community, but Jackman wanted to do more. And so he came home, and that was in 2009 he took the trip. In 2011, he opened two coffee shops in Manhattan. And he wanted to serve coffee that was being grown by Ducali and his community and those around him. And so they started their own little coffee company, and they called it Laughing Man Coffee and Tea. And he opened these shops and had all these different kinds of coffees to offer. The most popular was Ducali's Dream Roast. And it was going great. Now, Hugh Jackman so admired Paul Newman. Paul Newman, who used his fame to create his own food line, put his picture there on the bottles and they sold like crazy and Paul Newman gave all the money away to charity. And that way when Paul Newman died, it still went on blessing thousands upon thousands of lives. And Hugh Jackman was determined to do the same thing. Laughing Man Coffee took off. All the profits, all the profits went back to these communities helping them to get the tools they need, being taught more effective methods. World Vision was able to teach them and help them have the parts they needed to build a methane gas system where they were able to take the cow dung and the goat dung and burn it and it would make gas that would then power the flames for a fire to cook and put a light on at night at your house. And now Ducali's kids are in school and now his wife has a little shop in town and He's being able to buy more land and he is putting more trees in and he's hiring local workers and he is teaching the whole community how to do this. It's popular enough that recently Kerrig came in and bought part of the company. And the only way they'd let them buy it is if they agreed with part of the profits to go back always to Laughing Man Foundation. And all of Hugh Jackman's profits go into the Laughing Man Foundation. And now they're working in Colombia as well as Ethiopia, helping so many. And why? Because Hugh Jackman believes so strongly. It is our responsibility, 
our responsibility to look at the world around us and we may have all of our differences in so many ways but we're all called to be the children of God who's going to reach out and we're going to love genuinely to bless life. That's why our purpose for 131 years here at St. Luke's has been to share God's love and bring hope to the world. And I'm very excited to tell you that you've been hearing our governor talk about community hope centers across the state wanting to get so many of them started. Well, St. Luke's came forward with some ideas and we applied for a grant and it has been granted to us. And we will be receiving funding and we will be helping to create seven or eight different community hope centers around our city. And you will have the opportunity to be involved, to work, to give of yourself, your time, your money, to share we are going to expand what we are doing that makes a difference in this city in a significant way. I mean, it's so exciting. For 131 years, we are living out that mission of sharing God's love and bringing hope into this world. Let your love be genuine, Paul said. We're called to be there to care for one another. And what we're going to do with all of us who may bring so many differences, who may be so passionate about our ideas, we come together for a higher calling to be there to support one another and to be there to bless those who are in need. It's why we are here and what we are called to do. Let our minds be transformed by God's grace so that we know the will of God which is good and acceptable. And so third, I go back to the beginning of the passage when Paul would wind up saying, it is through the mercies of God. It is God's grace that enables you not to be conformed, to stay the way we have been, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that gift of God's grace so that you know the will of God. When you and I want to open our minds and experience the gift of God's grace, things happen in our lives that we could never envision. God uses us in ways we could never dream. You know the wonderful thing about Lincoln and Stanton was that over the next four years that they worked together before Lincoln was assassinated, these two men were transformed. They became friends. Stanton held Lincoln in the highest regard. They worked together, bringing their differences. This Republican and Democrat who were so different came together and guided this nation through a civil war, eliminating slavery and we're seeking to begin the process of binding up the nation's wounds. They grew in such respect for each other. In spite of the fact they were the odd couple, God used their differences to lead us forward. It's what Paul was asking out of the early church, and he would become our greatest evangelist. The one who would go and travel so many places telling us, we can do this together. 
we are different and we need our differences. He would talk about that so much. And you can be passionate over your differences, but never forget our highest calling is God's will, which is good and acceptable. Let your love be genuine. He had a higher calling and a purpose on how to be able to bless life. And what a difference he was able to make for this early church and help to hold us together. Amazing things happen in your life and we're able to do things we could never dream when we're open to the power of that grace. I came across a fascinating story recently about a lady named um, Jocelyn James. I don't know if you've heard of her. Jocelyn James, she, she lives in northern Alabama, Franklin County. And she's a lady who's had a lot of struggles in her life. It was a number of years ago now, she, they found cancer of the ovaries and she had to have surgery. It didn't really go well. She was in tremendous amounts of pain. They began giving her opioid and she got hooked. Alabama is either number one or two in the nation in opioid abuse. What happened to her? She got hooked. And as she began going downhill, she became a drug addict. She had to have it. She had to have all kinds of drugs. And so she began to steal. She would receive things that had been stolen to sell them. She said, I did everything that was wrong other than commit murder. But she said, I didn't care about anyone or who I might hurt or what I was doing and how it would affect other people. She said, I had to have it. Over a five-year period, she was arrested 16 times, going to jail, off and on, getting out, trying to go to halfway out. It was a mess. The officer who arrested her the most was a man named uh, Officer Terrell Potter. He worked there in Franklin County. It seemed like he was the one who arrested her the most, and when they interviewed him, he said, I just got to tell you, she was a bad person. She was messed up. I kept telling her, you need to get your life straight. And it was finally in 2013, she had been in jail. She was getting out again. She was in a halfway house trying to work a program for sobriety. She wanted to get better. And she said, I was praying and praying, oh God, take this craving from me. And she said, all I can say, it was like this warmth, this Holy Spirit moved over me. And I suddenly felt different. She has been sober since. She continues to work the program. She's put her life back together. She is married. She's starting a nonprofit. It's a place for women who are addicted to opioids. She calls it a place of grace. She's really putting her life back together right now. She is a lady of faith and compassion. But about eight or nine months ago, one night she was flipping through Facebook. And as she was flipping through Facebook, she suddenly saw the face of a retired police officer, Officer Potter. And what he was talking about on Facebook was his kidneys were failing and he was now down to 5% function. The doctors at Vanderbilt University Hospital, they said on average we're having to wait seven to eight years in order to find a match. Officer Potter was dying. 
and his family, people of great faith, they were certainly praying that someone would come forward and it would be a match and be able to help. And Jocelyn said when she looked through there and she saw his picture and read what was going on, she said, the Holy Spirit said to me in that moment, you have that man's kidney. And so she called him, got in touch with him. And she said, I would like to donate a kidney to you if it's a match. And Officer Potter said, you know, if I had made up a list of a hundred people who I thought might choose to give me a kidney, she would not have been on that list. But they went to Vanderbilt University Hospital and it was a perfect match. In fact, Vanderbilt said they had never seen a more perfect match in all their transplants. And so about eight weeks ago, they had the surgery and now Terrell Potter is feeling wonderful and doing so much better and the kidneys functioning and Jocelyn has recovered and it's wonderful to see a picture of them and he's holding her, hugging her. He said, I had two daughters and now I have three. She's a part of our family. I mean, when someone is willing to sacrifice and give a part of their body to you, there is no greater love And you see the joy on their face. And Officer Potter said, this wasn't a coincidence. This was of God. I believe that God uses us in ways we can never even imagine. When you and I open our hearts to God's grace, then our mind can be transformed so that we begin looking for the will of God which is good and acceptable. Let your love be genuine. Don't be haughty and arrogant. No, we're asking the question, can people who are passionate about what they believe overcome differences and let their differences be used by God? for the good of all. I believe God will do that if we're willing to let ourselves be the odd couple. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.